Memorial Day. Today, uh, this weekend, actually, Memorial Day weekend is, for most people, a time of a holiday. Maybe planning outdoor activities or other times to get together with family, friends, other individuals. But Memorial Day actually started following the Civil War. It was a time when it was an opportunity to commemorate, to remember those who had given their lives in that conflict. It was broadened and it became a national holiday. And it was a time in which individuals were to reflect upon and express their gratitude to individuals who had made sacrifice that we might enjoy the freedoms that far too often we just take for granted and that we so richly enjoy in this country. Without a doubt, there is a great cost, a real price for freedom. It does not come easily. It does not come cheaply. And many individuals even gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives that you and I might enjoy the freedoms that we have in this country today. We live in the land of the free and in the home of the brave. And it's appropriate for us to give God thanks for individuals who have sacrificed so much for what you and I freely enjoy every day. But it should also be a time for us to reflect upon the fact that the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, whether they be social, political, individual opportunities, are nothing in comparison to the freedom that every human being desperately needs. And in spite of all of those freedoms, many in this country are still bound in servitude and slavery. And there is only one individual who can liberate. There is only one individual who can set us free. And it is that individual to whom all praise should be given. So on this weekend, when we commemorate Memorial Day and the fact that so many have done so much for us to enjoy the personal, political, and social freedoms that we have, to realize that one individual has done far more to provide true freedom to the individuals who are the objects of his grace. And with that in mind, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of John, to John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, we read, Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now without spending a lot of time concerning the background and the overview of this book, we know it is one of the gospel presentations of Jesus Christ and presenting him as God the Son, as the theme throughout the book. And the one who is the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one you and I know of as John the Apostle, is the recognized author of this little gospel record. And he made it very clear at the end of the book that he had a reason why he wrote, why he included what he did. He said there were many other things that Jesus did in the presence of a multitude of witnesses that are not recorded in this book. But these have been written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing to have life in his name. And what we find is throughout this book, John consistently uses that number seven whether it be in the signs or miracles that Jesus gives, the discourses that he presents, or even the ways in which Jesus acknowledges himself. For example, you know, I am the good shepherd. The seven I am's of Jesus Christ found in the gospel of John. And he included those that we can understand the true identity of Jesus Christ and that in believing that we might have life in his name. As John begins this gospel record, he makes it very clear that there are many individuals who do not receive him, believe in him, right? He came to his own, that is to the Jewish nation, but his own did not receive him. They didn't welcome him. And what we find as we read through the gospel of John is an increasing hostility against Jesus Christ on the part of the nation. But out of the nation, there were select individuals who did welcome him, who did receive him. These are the individuals who believed on his name. And the reason they did so is because they were born, not by the will of the flesh, They weren't born because of the will of man. They weren't born because of blood relationships. They were born because of the will of God. They were given new life by the grace of God. And this section that is before us is a record of the time in which there is this increased rejection of antagonism toward hostility against Jesus Christ. And what we find is it's taking place around the Feast of Tabernacles, which would have happened somewhere in, oh, late August, September, maybe early uh, October, depending on the Jewish calendar. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus actually gave a discourse during it 
That's chapter 7, and a discourse right at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the discourse in chapter 7, he presents himself as the source of living water. He made it very clear that unless they believe that he was the promised Messiah, they would die in their sins. And in chapter 8, in this discourse, he presents himself as the light of the world. And both the figure of water and the use of water and the image of light were intricately woven into the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Jesus is using these images to portray something about himself and what he does for those that are the objects of his grace. To the ones who believe in him as the source of living water, he said in John 7, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And here in chapter 8, as the light of the world, the one who believes in him will not walk in darkness. He won't stumble, but he'll have the light of life. And in the midst of the antagonism, in the midst of the rejection, notice verse 30 says, and as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. And so, therefore, Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him. Now, what we have to first and foremost establish is the fact that John makes it very clear in this gospel record that there are individuals that believe in him but have a spurious faith. Now, that's hard for some in America in our modern day to accept because we are embracing the idea of easy believism. As long as someone's prayed a prayer, as long as someone has um, made a decision to follow Jesus, he is eternally secure. And what John does is he makes it very clear that there are individuals who identify themselves with Christ, who profess faith in Christ, and not all of them have genuine spiritual life. And if you're not convinced of that, I give you John chapter 2, where it speaks of the fact that at the end of the gospel, that there were many Jews who believed in him, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of man. Or you go to the great discourse he gave on, I am the bread of heaven, and the one who believes in me shall never hunger. And many of the Jews were seeking and following in him. And he says, the reason you are believing or following me is because you ate the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000, and were full. Don't labor for the bread that perishes, but labor for the bread that leads to eternal life. What had happened in John chapter 2 is that many of the Jews saw the miracles that he had worked and said, oh, this must be the promised Messiah. What happened in John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, there were many Jews who said, this is a great welfare system. All of our needs are being taken care of. And Jesus continued to present to them the reality that what one needs is a genuine spiritual relationship with God and not a preoccupation with temporal things. And you know what it says in John 6? I believe it's in verse 60. 
And as a result of this, many of his disciples walked with him no longer. If you don't understand that the idea of believing and being a disciple can be a superficial relationship and not a deep relationship, you will never comprehend the book of John. And so in this section, Jesus is looking at those who believed in him, recognizing a discriminatory um, ministry that there's tares mixed among the wheat. We've lost that idea of a discriminatory ministry today. We assume that just because everyone says they are a child of God, they're a follower of Christ, that that must be so. But who is Jesus speaking to? To those Jews who had believed in him. And what does he say to them? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free now another clarification that I need to give here is Jesus is not saying the way you become a true disciple of mine is by continuing in my word what Jesus is saying is here is the hallmark characteristic of an individual that is a genuine disciple. A genuine disciple, someone that has a true spiritual relationship with God, is an individual that continues in God's word. You'll continue in my word, said Jesus. Now, word, the phrase that is translated to continue means to remain in, to abide. We get an English word, this is your abode, where you dwell, where you live, from the Greek term that is translated if you continue in my word. In other words, if you are making your home in his word, that is the evidence that you are truly a disciple of mine. Not much different than Psalm 1, is it? How blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the paths of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. You do not become righteous because you meditate in the ways of the Lord, the word of the Lord day and night. The evidence that you are one of those declared righteous by God is because of the fact that the word of God has a priority in your life. And what Jesus is saying to us today, just like he did to them, it doesn't matter what you profess saying, I am a Christian, I am a child of God, the validation of that fact is you have an insatiable hunger for his truth. So you have to ask yourself the question, how relevant, how important, how significant is the word of God in my own life? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. God's sheep have a spiritual hunger for God's word. So Christ speaking to those Jews who had believed in him, 
a multitude now were associated with him. At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the occasions when the Jews would be coming to Jerusalem, one of the three times of the year where they were required to come worship. And he says, if you continue in my word, then you are legitimately, there is a genuineness that you are one of my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The second thing I think of relevance and importance that we see here is that Jesus said that if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, in other words, the teachings of Christ. That was the great divide, wasn't it, during his earthly ministry? Even the scribes and the Pharisees would say, well, we know God spoke through Moses, but we're not sure where this individual is getting his teaching. And those who had embraced Christ as the promised Messiah made it very clear that this is a strange thing, that you don't know where he comes from and where his teaching comes from, because never in the whole history of mankind has anyone who has been born blind been given sight. And if God was not the one at work, then how could this miracle have taken place? My word. And so it is specifically the teachings of Jesus Christ, which in this circumstance have great relevance. And notice what the disciples did concerning the message, the word of Christ. Look at verse 33. They, the same group of people, answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? What are they doing? They're not embracing. They're not continuing in. They're not receiving the word of Christ. They are challenging it. They are denying it. They're saying it doesn't make any sense. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And so, in their minds, their perception of things had greater validity than what Jesus said. It's not too hard to make that relevant for us today, is it? We're more often convinced that what we believe is right than what God's Word has to say. We're more convinced that we ought to embrace what the scientific world teaches us than what the word of God has to say. And we're not any different than these Jews who are putting our confidence in what we believe to be right than what God says is right. And what Jesus was implying when he said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, is that you are in bondage regardless of your physical, personal status in life. And it's a bondage that man will not naturally accept. Because we're so convinced that there is that spark of divine goodness within every human being. 
and not understanding as Jesus will tell them in the rest of this discourse, if God was your father, you would love me, but as it is, you are of your father whom? The devil. He was a liar from the beginning. What's man's condition? Never have to go to school to learn how to be deceitful and lie. It's part of your makeup. He was a liar from the beginning. Never have to go to school to learn how to be hateful and want to get back at others. He was a murderer from the beginning. And if God was your father, you would love me. If you were the children of Abraham, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to do what? To kill me. And again, back to those individuals that don't recognize trusting Christ is a supernatural blessing and gift that comes from God and not something that man has accomplished on his own by decisions he has made. We struggle with how we understand this. He's talking to those who believed. He tells them that if they're genuinely one of his disciples, they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. And somehow they try to say, well, it's a different group he's now talking to. There is nowhere in my text that shows it's a different group to whom he is now speaking. What I need to recognize is, is that unless there is this work of God taking place in my life that I still need liberation and a liberation that only Christ can give and a liberation that has nothing to do with whether or not I live in the home of the brave and the land of the free. And like these Jews, we think because of our democracy, we're free. We're free. I think we also can take his statement where he says, if you abide, continue, remain in my word, that Christ is really the author of all of the scripture. And therefore, it is not just the teachings of Christ, although in the setting that's before us, it has the primary focus, but all of God's word. And that God has given his people a spiritual appetite and a spiritual hunger for spiritual truth. If you are genuinely one of my disciples, you'll continue in my word and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. A disciple. Well, we know that's a part of the commission given to the church, right? Go into all the world and make what? Disciples. And part of that has to do with evangelism. Part of it has to do with edification. Both components are part of the commission, right? Baptizing them, there's the evangelism. Teaching them, there's the edification. You're supposed to have both. It's part of the commission given to the church. So what does he say? If you're a genuine disciple, you'll continue in my word. Hillary knows what a disciple is because she's one of them. It's the word for a student. If you're really one of my students, if you're an individual that is embracing me as the rabbi, as the principal teacher, you'll continue in my word. So here's the Apostle Paul. He made it very clear. 
he was a follower of Gamaliel. Individuals would say they follow Aristotle or Plato. That was their principal teacher. And the precepts and ideas that came from them is what the students would embrace. And Jesus is using the common term where he says, if you're really one of my disciples, one of my students, one who is learning from me, the master, you'll continue in my word. There's where you find my precepts. There's where you find my propositions of reality. And you will embrace them. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I like the way one commentary expresses the idea that is here. It says, new life leads to learning, and learning leads to liberty. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If I'm a child of God, I have new life. That means I'm one of his disciples. That means it's a continuing process of growing to understand who he is and what he has said for us as his people. And in that, there is liberation that comes. If you are an individual that continues in my word, you bear evidence that you are a genuine disciple of mine, one of my students, one of my learners, one who has a relationship with me. And what will be the outcome? Why, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. In the Greek language, there are different words that are translated in our English Bibles as know, understand, have knowledge. One of those terms means kind of head knowledge, book learning. And interestingly enough, we're in a book learning, right? You'll continue in my word. But the other Greek word for knowledge and understanding is one that means it's woven into your experience. And that is the Greek word that is found here. You will experience the truth within your being. And the truth within your being will be transforming. The truth within your being will set you free. And I think it's important for us to point out that Jesus Christ also used the definite article. Please forgive me for all the details. But he doesn't say, you shall know truth and truth will set you free. Notice he said, you will know the truth. And it is the truth that sets you free. In other words, it is some definite entity known as truth. The idea of truth is absolute, unchangeable, the foundation for everything else. And in that, we find in the Bible that there are three things, probably should say two things, that are 
called the truth. One is God himself. And interestingly enough, if it is a reference to the Holy Spirit, he can be known as the spirit of truth. If it is a reference to God the Father, he is the God of truth. Isaiah 65, verse 16. And if it is in reference to Jesus Christ, a little later John's going to tell us in John 14 what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And then what God has exalted up to the level of his essence, of his name, as Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And so the person of God and his word is the ultimate foundation and the absolute from which all else emanates. No wonder it is so important. No wonder it is so relevant for us. I don't understand God correctly if I'm ignorant of the scriptures. I don't understand myself correctly if I'm ignorant of the scriptures. And I certainly don't comprehend reality and why things are the way they are if I don't know the scriptures. If I am to be transformed, set apart from the age in which I live, instead of being conformed to it, what is it that Paul tells me I'm to do? I'm to be renewing my mind. Romans 12. And what does the mental renewal so that my thinking, the grid, my worldview is such that I see things for how they really are? It is God's word. The truth is what liberates, what sets one free. Professing Christians have very little time for God's word. Now, we try to find and fabricate all types of programs to stimulate dead wood to want to desire spiritual truth. But the reality is genuine disciples don't need coercions to cause them to get into God's word. One of the first evidences that someone has new life in Christ is an insatiable hunger for the word. If you're a genuine disciple of mine, you'll continue in my word. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If there is anything our American culture, which to the world is a Christian nation, has no time for, it's the word of God. What you and I need to recognize is that we're in a very pathetic place. Because like these Jews of old, we think because of our democracy, because of our freedoms, because of our prosperity and blessing, that God has to be pleased with us 
as a nation. And similar to these Jews, we can retort to Jesus Christ. We're Abraham's offspring. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say, you shall become free? Now, this debate on how this is to be understood and the fact that these Jews weren't very perceptive because you think about the history of Israel and they were in bondage in Egypt, Babylonian captivity, the Assyrians. But I don't think they're looking at the history of the nation. They're dealing with their own individual circumstance. And these individuals enjoyed some autonomy even under Roman rule. They could still have their religious system that was established by God. They were individuals who enjoyed political and personal freedom. What was their requirement? Render unto Caesar what is due to Caesar. They had to pay their tribute to Caesar as part of their annual obligation. Just like you and I have to render to IRS what is due to IRS. And we work into May and June before we're ever working for ourselves. And what do we believe we are? Free. We're free individuals. We've never been enslaved to anyone. They recognized they had great privilege from the Lord. We are Abraham's offspring. In other words, we're part of the covenant family. We're part of those that God designated special blessing to. And we're enjoying those blessings. And mistakenly, deceptively, they saw the things that they enjoyed each day and the freedoms they had even under Roman domination as some sense of well-being, and they didn't really need anything from God. Now, to me, that sounds very familiar. We have a weekend where people will be celebrating the liberties that they have, and yet people have no clue. You're not free. The greatest deception the human heart has played on any individual is that I'm autonomous, I make my own decisions, I'm free, with no recognition, the one who commits sin is sinning, is a slave to sin. And the reality is, a slave cannot emancipate him or herself. A slave is property and does not remain in the house forever. It's only in the Son, in Jesus Christ, that liberty is to be found. As human beings, we have a greater issue and problem than whether or not we enjoy democracy and have the opportunities to pursue the career that we want to do and travel as we would like and how much better off we are than so many people in other parts of the world. 
But deceptively, America is calloused. Deceptively, the American church is calloused and fails to realize that I don't just need a warm fuzzy to hear on a Sunday morning to make me feel good about myself. What I need more than anything else is liberty in Jesus Christ. Many years ago, an Englishman by the name of J.C. Ryle, writing about this section, said the following, the power of self-deception in unconverted man is infinite. These Jews were not more unreasonable than many nowadays who say, we're not dead in sin. We have grace. We have faith. We are regenerate. We have the spirit. While their lives show plainly that they are totally mistaken. See, the scripture does not say someone knows they're a Christian because of a prayer they prayed or a decision they made. You will know them how? By their fruit. And a good tree brings forth good fruit. And an evil tree brings forth bad fruit. Therefore, said Jesus Christ, you will know them by their fruit. And the first evidence that there is new life, that an individual is a child of God, is what Jesus says right here. If you continue in my word, then you're a genuine disciple of mine. God's people have a hunger for God's truth. God's people have a desire to learn from the good shepherd. God's people are in God's word. They hear the voice of the shepherd, and what do they do? They follow me. And I don't care what your status is in life, if Jesus Christ is not your shepherd, if you are not a genuine disciple of his, you are still in the bondage of sin. But if Jesus Christ is your shepherd, if in his grace he has given to you life, then one of the things you see in yourself is no one has to coerce me to spend time in God's word. I really have a hunger to know what it says. And it is the evidence, it is the proof that I'm a genuine disciple. And the benefit and the blessing that comes from that I'm set free. Charles Wesley understood it. In that great hymn, End Can It Be, long my imprisoned spirit lay where? Fast bound in sin, 
and nature's night. What happened? Your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke up, and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was set free. And so what does the individual in whom God has infused that light do? I arose. I went forth. I followed thee. It's right for us this Memorial Day weekend to give God thanks for those who've made the sacrifices that you and I can enjoy, the freedoms that we enjoy day in and day out in this country. But oh, more importantly, it's appropriate for us every day to give thanks to the only one who can liberate us from eternal damnation, from being a child of wrath, from being an individual that walks according to the prince of the power of the air, to be an individual that is a servant of sin and of Satan, but has been set free by the only one who can give true liberty, Jesus Christ. Boy, hallelujah. What a savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth and how I pray that you would cause us to recognize that apart from you, your working and the great redeemer you've given to us, we, like so many others in this world, would have no hope. But thank you, Father, that in Jesus Christ, we have gained blessings unimaginable that you have made us your children, and liberated us in Jesus Christ. To him be the honor and the glory forevermore. Amen.